welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thank you for joining us. To lead, learn, and laugh. Learn market knowledge and best practices to lead your company's success. And that's whatever type of company you work with. And laugh, I believe we have to have some fun along the way. Well, hello, I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. If you have any questions or comments related to today's show or any commercial real estate related endeavors, you're invited to get in touch with us by smoke signals or we can send the show's carrier pigeon by your castle window, right? So uh, seriously, though, do give us a call. We love hearing from you. Our number is 888-612-SHOW. Or you can send me a tweet. My account is at Bull Realty. You can find your favorite way to subscribe, friend, or connect with us at commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're going to discuss prevalent legal issues in the current commercial real estate market. We have some bright and accomplished real estate lawyers in the studio today, and I've checked them out very closely, and I found that their average GPA in law school was (laughs) 4.3. You you believe that? Imagine that. Well, last time I got a 4.3, it was a breathalyzer, I think. (laughs) Uh, Mom, I'm just kidding. Uh, Mom says, they're going to believe that stuff you say on the radio. (laughs) Well, please welcome my guests. First, welcome Carter Stout. Uh, Carter leads Stout and Hendricks real estate practice with more than 26 years of experience representing buyers, sellers, landlords, and tenants in commercial real estate transactions. Carter, welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. It's good to be here, Michael. Also, please welcome Andy Litvak. Andy practices at Nelson Mullins Riley in Scarborough. Uh, their Atlanta office, and uh, his practice includes real estate, investment, finance, distressed property, workouts, and restructuring. Andy, welcome to the show. Good morning, Michael. Thank you for having me. Also, please welcome Jeff Snyder, a shareholder with Weissman, Nowak, Curry, and Wilco. He represents clients in litigation, arbitration, and negotiation of real estate disputes, including development, title, contract, and land use. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Also, please welcome Michael Ward of Council with Greenberg Traurig, where he focuses on commercial real estate and development, including retail, office, multifamily hospitality, and parking facilities. Mike, thanks for joining us. Michael, happy to be here. All right, guys. Uh, it's great to have real smart real estate lawyers around me. I can learn some things today as, uh, as and our listeners as well. And first, I'd like to ask you about, the, about your work. I mean, as this cycle has evolved, uh, has the volume of your work adjusted uh, in the last few years? Are you seeing more uh, transaction work and less distress work? What do you see, Andy? Well, absolutely, Michael. Um, I think the last few years has definitely been a turn for the better, mm-hmm. um, which is probably making a lot of people happy. I mean, more of what I would characterize as, as good work, core work, leasing activity, um, investment sales and purchases. I mean, there's still a lot of pent-up um, distressed real estate and problems to be worked out on a commercial real estate level, but it's, it seems to be tapering off. And um, you know, I think there's there's good money to be put to work, and people are really looking to do that. And we're seeing that, um, and I'm seeing that in my leasing and my investment sale and purchase practice. And on your transaction work, this picked up. Uh, what types of properties are you seeing uh, the most increase? Well, multifamily is extremely hot right now. Mm-hmm. I'm working with a, a fund actually mm-hmm. out of Florida. Mm-hmm. And they are um, very bullish on the Atlanta market, mm-hmm. no pun intended. <laughs> but they, um, um, uh, that's a hot space. That's a competitive space. And also the, um, the net lease market, especially in the retail arena, um, with corporate, you know, strong, financially sound tenants that can produce that rent stream the investor is looking for, for good, solid yield. 
um, there is a lot of activity in that area as well. Yeah, well, that's good to hear that uh, you're seeing a little bit uh, less distress work and, and more transaction activity. And we've seen the same thing in our shop with uh, the single tenant net lease market being uh, really hot. Well, Carter, what are you seeing in your practice? I'm seeing that uh, my work volume has gone from, from good to, to better. Uh, it's mm-hmm. got a ways to go, but uh, much uh, improved, uh, more lenders willing to make uh, loans on uh, transactions versus maybe last year more cash transactions. Uh, so I think things are, are improving. That's good to hear. And Jeff, what about in the, the litigation area? Have your clients changed over the past several years? They have. I think we're getting out of the disposal of real estate market and into the development of real estate market. And as a litigator, I usually follow, I'm usually an indicator of where the market has, has gone about six months or a year ahead. So two or three years of fighting over just the dis- disposal of real estate, and now we're getting into really seeing more old-school development litigation where you're fighting over profits and good things, good projects, um, and a lot, of, a lot more things that are indicators of a, a much more healthy environment. Yeah, that's good. It's good to hear. Let's fight over positive things right? Right, right. than uh, <laughs> um, negative things. And, Mike, uh, what do you see? You work with a lot of developers, right? Yeah, as Jeff said, my my client base has probably shifted more from I don't know seventy percent developers uh, to more one off type of transactions. There's still a lot of developers out there. They sell the, those who have lasted have sat on the sidelines for a little while, but there's a little more lending activity picking up. So there's more money available. Multifamily is still very hot. I think um, large scale single family purchases are still hot as well. You got large funds backing those act, those transactions, and I'm seeing some of that, that activity as well. But more so, instead of the large-scale, either you know, single-purpose or multi-purpose mixed-use developments I used to see back in the you know, 06, 07, early 08, I'm seeing more one-off single-asset purchases, um, you know, net-lease transactions. I am seeing more now you know, modified net as opposed to triple net leases. You know, they, might, you know, pick, you know, they might include, for instance, you know, uh, uh, taxes and, 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 and uh, uh, insurance in your, in your lease payments and make you pay CAM charge or something like that. Yeah. But, so it's changed a little bit, but it definitely has picked up. Okay. Well, that's interesting. And let's get back to the distress situation a little bit. I mean, like you said, there's still a lot of distress in the market. There's still a lot of loans maturing that where the uh, values are uh, upside down. Andy, what have you seen as you've worked through this cycle, as you've worked and helped borrowers uh, over the last several years? What are some kind of top tips you'd share with them uh, if a borrower is in a distress situation? Well, a couple points there. One is, I have noticed some more flexibility uh, from lenders in in their willingness to work out um, and resolve problem and non-performing loans. Like by way of example, um, lenders, you know, certain lenders, some of the national lenders, um, larger banks are willing to work with borrowers and actually um, sell them notes on a discounted basis. Whereas in the beginning of the of the of the down cycle. I think there was more uh, antagonism and there was more difficulty dealing directly. So banks that where the borrower's personally liable, they're still discounting and selling the notes too. They are, and sometimes they're doing it directly with the borrower, and other times in concert with the borrower, bringing in fresh equity, um, recapitalizing the uh, partnership structure. Um, you know, again, there's people out there that want yield, uh, and that equity is expensive, but if it can extricate the borrower from uh, under the guarantee and and solve the lender's balance sheet problem. It, it's definitely it's definitely happening, and I've, I've handled multiple um, uh, discounted note 
uh, sales as structured settlements in the last year. So the lenders aren't as mad as they were, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends who you speak to. <laughs> but what else for a, a borrower who's upside down? Let's say that uh, they're going to talk to the lender. What should they have in mind when, when they go to their lender to, to start to work out a loan situation? Yeah, you know, the key here, and this is what I tell a lot of my clients, is that your, your strategy really needs to drive the proposal to the lender and not the other way around. You, you need to understand what it is you want to accomplish. I mean, some folks just want to extricate themselves from the situation. It's, it's a, you know, a problem piece of property. It's just not going to be capable of being repositioned. Um, and they want to close the chapter and move on. You know, other folks um, do see, uh, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel. They've got a lot of equity in the deal from the onset. And there is an ability to reposition that property based on what they're seeing in the market. So those, those, are, those are entirely different strategies. I mean, you're either going to propose a deed in lieu of foreclosure or some sort of settlement and cut bait, or you're going to want to restructure and remodify or modify your loan rather. And you may want to, you know, there's different um, uh, strategies that you can employ there, whether it's um, fresh equity whether it's you know an AB note structure and, and things you can do to actually buy some time um, to allow you to, to do that. And the lenders will work with that, but you really need to, to drive home the point and you need to support it um, with strong financials and property level information. Yeah, and we're short on the break, but part of what you're saying there is you need a, a good plan when you go to the lender, right, that's gonna resolve the issue. Clearly, I mean, you need to be proactive, you need to be responsive, uh, and you need to support your position. If you if you duck, if you hide, if you delay, there's there's nothing that will get you um, crucified quicker <laughs> by a lender than um, being non-responsive. They are they are under under time constraints. Yeah, that's a good point, and we see that in our practice. And if part of the plan is to to sell the the asset, then you maybe not just bring an offer from one buyer that happens to want to steal the property. Maybe you should uh, go with a marketing plan, some comparables. Uh, show that you've, you're going to list it with a broker who has great market exposure to, to the buyers in the marketplace to maximize the recovery for that lender. So you walk in there with a plan where they have the comps, they know what they might uh, get out of that short sale, and hopefully release you from liability, right? Well, stay with us. We have more legal intel headed your way. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. If you appreciate the intel the show provides for you, Please share the show with your connections on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, and reach out to the show's sponsors to see how they might benefit your business. Visit the show website. There are share bars for each show podcast and a sponsor tab at commercialrealestateshow.com. Today, we're discussing prevalent legal issues in the commercial real estate market. My guests are Carter Stout, Andy Litvak, Jeff Snyder, and Michael Ward. And I'd like to ask you guys about a borrower who has gone through the process and now uh, the foreclosure process, if you will, and the, they know the lender is going to go after them. Uh, there's efficiency. Uh, the the bank's going to go after them for the money. Uh, Jeff, what are some strategies you see there that may help a borrower? 
Right, Michael, this is this falls into the category of innocent until proven broke, as my uh, <laughs> section calls it. It means that everything that Andy was talking about earlier hasn't worked out. You haven't been able to negotiate a soft landing with a property. You haven't been able to to work out uh, a deed in lieu that results in a in a waiver or release of any of any debt. And really, no matter what state you're in, you're going to be looking at three issues. You know, one is liability. Um, are you liable under the note? Are you a guarantor? Are you, are you responsible for the underlying debt? And that typically turns state by state on whether the foreclosure was done right. That's sort of your, your first line of defense. Did they publish? Did they advertise right? Did they send you the right notice? And then in, in a number of states, did they sell the property for the fair market value? And that's really the battleground. But, you know, the courts have now matured on handling deficiency cases, and they know the real ones from the not real ones, and they dispose of them very summarily now. So mostly what you're fighting over uh, from the liability side is the value. And I'd say 90% of the cases you see come out of, of the Southeast particularly um, are in favor of the lenders. It's just a matter of stall tactics. The second issue is collectability. Lenders um, have gotten a grip on the fact that when someone says they're broke in this economy, they usually mean they're broke. <laughs> so the key is yeah. when, if you're going to play the broke card, be broke. You know, because the, and be prepared as a bit of advice. I mean, be prepared that they're going to really drill down and ask you. They don't want to wake up at three in the morning and have a fantasy of you driving around in your Maserati as you left. <laughs> they don't want to pass you on the lift in Vail after they just wrote <laughs> off a $2 million loan. So collectability is a big issue, and you're in a window of time when they believe that you're broke. Um, but be, re- be prepared for the fact that they're going to vet that very, very, very thoroughly, and be prepared that you'll probably be asked for a audited financial statement. Um, also be aware that it's pretty easy to figure out where you've transferred assets in this day and age. Um, the third bit of con- advice to me would be, from me would be to know who your opponent is. If it's a hard money lender, they may be mad at you. They may remember you at that closing table. They may know that you use the first draw to buy your boat. <laughs> if, this is a, if this is an institution that's bought the loan out of a bundle and there's an FDIC um, law share agreement, they may be very flexible in, in taking a haircut on this. So know your enemy. Know who it is that you're, that you're resisting. Um, but, you know, I also very much agree with Andy's perspective is be candid. Um, I think banks, even large institutions, get mad when someone's dragging their feet and costing them money. So that's my two cents worth. Well, those are great points. So so let's say that your your boat that you named uh, First Draw <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> has, uh, has been foreclosed on as well, and, and you are really broke. Are, are you seeing lenders that are going through the process to go after these borrowers even though they are broke, or have they quit doing that? In the commercial setting, um, in the residential setting, they absolutely don't seek deficiencies. It's been a general, become a general rule. In the commercial setting, they really are drilling down, and, and you've got to really establish that. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, people forced into bankruptcy, and you've got a really aggressive trustee pool out there, especially in the southeast and out west, very aggressive trustee pool that even if you park yourself in a bankruptcy, be prepared that you're going to be examined like you just – came back from the doctor. Um, <laughs> pick the doctor. So That doesn't sound too fun. No. Okay. That, I'm sure it's not. <laughs> okay. Well, another, another 
prevalent legal issue we see today or that uh, banks and lenders are, are selling notes. Uh, they decide not and get, to get into the uh, chain of title and get into those risks, uh, and they're selling notes. So in your practice where you see investors buying notes and maybe particularly investors who are hoping to, to get to the property uh, ownership, what are you, some of the issues you see, Mike, uh, related to clients buying notes? Sure. Well, you know, the buying side of the equation, of course, is a little bit different than the selling side. And what I see are not so much issues, I guess, as, as attributes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, they tend to be very large scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking about portfolios of you know, 100 million plus is what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. They scan multiple states. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones I've seen you know, may scan three, four, five, six states in some cases. They all have different laws that have to be complied with with regard to the underlying assets as well as the note purchase themselves. Two, they're very competitive. You're going to have two or three or four more large players uh, going after that one, that one portfolio uh, and, and they're very competitive. They're, you know, they're gonna they're gonna uh, offer discounts. In some cases, I you know I couldn't tell they'd make any money um, selling at, at those rates. But but you know they're they're very very competitive. Um, and and the one thing I guess on the legal side that we that we get hit with probably the hardest is that the, the sheer due diligence. Uh, if you're talking about multi-state transaction, you know, in a firm like ours, where fortunately we have lawyers in several different states, uh, we're we're perhaps better capable than some others to. Um, to, to represent one client who's going after a, a series of notes in several different states. Uh, but the due diligence can be fairly um, intensive. Uh, looking at the underlying assets, you're going to have some that are performing, some that are not. Uh, the, the seller's going to still th- throw a hodgepodge out there. And they may wind up breaking them out in, into tranches or, or different pieces. You might, you, know, you might have five bidders. You might have four who, who are awarded some piece of the overall portfolio. Uh, but those are some larger, some of the, the more generic attributes you'll see on the buying side of transactions like that. Yeah, that's interesting, especially on the due diligence part, because we do a lot of due diligence for for note buyers. And and it's interesting, some of them want to go pretty deep into the collateral value and understanding the borrower and what their MO is and what the potential of that property is uh, down the road, the liquidation value. And some of them are looking at the tape and uh, making an offer. (laughs) So uh, it's kind of interesting. Well, Jeff, what do you see in in your practice uh, related to uh, buying notes? Where I see it run aground, and this is more on the one-off, the person who wants to invest in two or three notes, um, not a large national investment company, uh, where they seem to run into trouble is the due, due diligence issue. If you're looking at a note that was between a bank and a builder that had a long relationship and a long history and they were probably social friends, you've got to really drill down on the loan servicing side of that. Make sure that there aren't any arguments later on down the road that there were handshake agreements to waive penalties or payments. Um, I've got a case right now where the builder uh, married the bank officer, and (laughs) they had a lot of communications about their loan. And of course, uh, the loan got sold, and now this holder of the note has inherited a whole history of of uh, conduct and that's, that constitutes a waiver of your claims under a note. So really understand who the parties were and get as much loan servicing information as you can get. <laughs> that's interesting. So, yeah, if you owe someone money, uh, maybe the way to get out of it is to marry them, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then you get into a whole other issue, uh, a lot of issues there. We won't go into this show. It's not the Dr. Phil show, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we get back, uh, we'll uh, share some information about joint venture recapitalization. And we're going to talk about some issues with commercial leases that are prevalent at this point in the cycle. And then uh, if we have 
have time, we'll get into some areas where we see some disputes uh, coming up with real estate matters. So stay with us. We have more legal intelligence headed your way. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com or call 404-832-8262. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. You may be listening to the show anywhere from Miami to San Francisco today. The show has been broadcast around the world for two and a half years on iTunes, the show website, and the show is aired on 10 radio stations across the U.S. We'd like to welcome listeners in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul on Business 1570. Today, we're discussing prevalent legal issues in the current market. My guests are uh, Carter Stout, Andy Litvak, Jeff Snyder, and Michael Ward. And uh, guys, I'd like to ask you about joint venture recapitalization and some of the issues you see there. I think there's some sponsors, some borrowers who are upside down on their loans, and the uh, there needs to be a cash injection. They don't have the cash, so we have investors coming to the table uh, to invest the cash, and they're creating a joint venture uh, to restructure that loan and, and move down the road with the uh, property ownership in a joint venture. Andy, what are some of the highlights you see in those types of uh, transactions? Well, yeah, these are interesting because in, in, in my uh, practice, the, uh, the context is often uh, the workout and, and the settlement. You know, the borrower will start off the process and try to go at it alone uh, and buy some time, perhaps negotiate a forbearance, uh, and the lender just doesn't want to go that route. The loan's been non-performing for far too long. It's in the wrong pile at the bank, and they, and they really want to um, just get it off the book. So at that point, if, if there's a level of, I think, confidence um, and recognition that they have a sophisticated borrower um, who's capable of bringing in that equity, um, and then on the flip side, um, if, if that borrower can act as a sponsor, so to speak, and go out and command um, from their family and friends or their other relationship circles and, and bring in that equity, the lenders have been very receptive to that. So they'll, they'll go ahead. Um, and on the investor side, what you're seeing is there's just a lot of money out there chasing deals. Good deals are, are hard to come by. And these investors recognize that if you can reset the basis and really buy down that debt at the right number, um, the deal starts to make a lot of sense. So you're starting to see these you know, more and more if you've got the right pieces of the, uh, of the, uh, the puzzle. That are, that are there. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, I think in a lot of cases, these investors will, will let the existing sponsor uh, keep the management, uh, keep the leasing, uh, and you know they'll have some upside uh, uh, down the road. And then you mentioned uh, forbearance agreements. Can you briefly describe a forbearance agreement and some of the highlights a borrower may want to consider with those? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, a common philosophy that a borrower wants to, to undertake is to is to just buy some time to um, uh, to reduce debt service or eliminate it entirely, because you know they may have had a tenant just blow out of that building, and it could have been a, sen- a single tenant building, for example. Um, they've got to carry the asset, they've got to you know pay taxes, manage management, maintenance, and things of that nature. So they will try to um, you know free themselves from debt service for a period of time. And if you can't if you can't you know get that far, and if you aren't successful in that regard, you can always try to 
um, you know, advocate a, uh, you know, a middle ground, so to speak, where you're going to pay, uh, you know, convert it to interest only, um, you know, really bring down the debt service level or take it off amortization um, and, al- and allow some flexibility for the borrower to do what they need to do to, uh, to bring in that equity or, or, or just try to uh, buy a little time to, to figure out what the true strategy is. So the forbearance agreement is, is not an extension of the loan or a modification of the loan with the lender. It's kind of a, a separate agreement to let you buy a little time to see if you can really do what you say you're going to do, more or less. Is that a good description of a forbearance agreement? Yeah, I think that's, uh, it's definitely a, a, a trial period, if you will. I mean, lenders are very careful to protect their position, reserve all their rights, uh, and make very clear that um, they're not foregoing any of their rights. One of the other things they're doing uh, quite often, if you want time as a borrower, I mean, there's going to have to be some quid pro quo, and they're going to want you to pay down some principal, put some skin in the game, and really show them that you've got the capability uh, and the uh, financial wherewithal to perform. Yeah. And guys, they also, the lenders in that situation, are going to ask you to, to release them from lender liability, right? Uh, what what issues do you see there, if any, for a, a borrower if they're going to start working something out with their lender? Should they go ahead and say, "Yeah, no, no lender liability. You're you're all clear, Mr. Lender." You may not have a choice. Yeah. This is Jeff, and I'm interested in your your input on that. You may not be given a choice. You've got to scrub the cl- the the plate clean in terms of any past history or any any remnant liability. Having represented a couple of borrowers in that situation, I can tell you they do it very, very reluctantly. Yeah, uh, and there'll be some haggling in some cases, depending on what, you know, how much, you know, how likely it is the borrower think they can hold the lender to liability down the road, and or depends upon whether it's the first forbearance agreement they've negotiated or the third. Right. Uh, I've seen that as well. So, so, you know, some borrowers may say, "Look, I have no choice. I want to stay in the asset." You know, I. I, I the road, the road looks a lot brighter down the road, just a little ways, just get me there. I just need six months, a year, et cetera. So fine, I'll, I'll sign whatever you want me to sign. And some will say, well, wait a minute, let me let my lawyer look at this and I'll get back to you. Yeah, well, that's a good point. We just sold a, we just did a short sale recently where the borrower would not release liability, did not go into a forbearance agreement, hadn't paid the payments in two years. We ended up selling it. The lender got a huge recovery, even though they never went into a forbearance. Well, quick break, more legal info headed your way. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Sometimes opportunity comes along because you're at the right place at the right time. A commercial redevelopment site on Peachtree Street in Buckhead, Atlanta, appraised for $7.5 million, is now available for $5 million. For more information, visit the homepage at bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. If you'd like to know the absolute latest on any commercial real estate-related topics, check out our on-demand show podcast. For example, last week we did a show on the hospitality sector, a show the week before on mistakes to avoid with purchase and sale contracts. And be sure to check out a show on how the tax changes of 2013 may affect the commercial real estate industry. You can access the shows anytime on your smartphone or computer. Just visit iTunes or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're discussing prevalent legal issues in the commercial real estate market with Carter Stout, Andy Lidvak, Jeff Snyder, and Michael Ward. And gentlemen, this has been a 
I guess, a, a strange time that people have gone through this recession and landlords and tenants. And for, for tenants, it, it's been a, been a bit of a strange ride. Uh, some of them have had uh, defaults, and now they're starting to expand again. You still have some landlords who may be in some financial difficulties. Andy, what are some of the, the bigger lease issues that, that tenants should consider at this point in the cycle? Right. It's, it's definitely an interesting period of time, uh, as you just said, Michael. I think there's a, um, a strong return to fundamentals. Um, and what I, what, I mean, what I mean by that is tenants, I think, are looking extra careful at um, making sure they're dealing with financially strong landlords who can deliver tenant improvement dollars. Um, they don't have to you know, be concerned about um, those monies not being delivered as promised in, in connection with build-outs and things of that nature. Um, I think they're also, I always try to preach, you know, look behind the scenes. Is there debt on the property? You know, is there a fee lender? And if so, um, let's really take a look at that non-disturbance agreement and make sure you get that up front in, in the unlikely, or I guess, you know, it wasn't so unlikely in the last few years, but in the, in, in the event or the unanticipated event that you have a, a landlord failure, that you have protection if that lender steps on in. And then I think on the flip side, there's really been some new quarterbacks that have come into the space on the, as landlords. For example, these banks and these special loan servicers have taken back assets. They don't have the operational expertise. They don't want to oversee delivering um, you know, cold, dark shells and white boxes and other um, specialty uh, spaces that tenants may need. They want to provide an allowance. Um, they want to deliver that space as is, um, and they want to uh, just just get that tenant going. So I think, and that's why they have so much trouble leasing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I'll tell you, it's 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 hard, you know, to get tenants and landlords to to marry up on where they need to be exactly. But it's 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 a return, I think, to to fundamental protections and people um, understanding that the climate's a little bit different. Um, and where we're going at this point. Well, that's a good point. I think you, as a tenant, you may want to pull back the curtain, if you will, and, and make sure you know what the, the debt is and when it matures. And uh, if, especially if a building's got a lot of vacancy, I think one of the things that we do with our tenant representation is we look in the capital stack of the building and look behind that curtain and see if there might be some issues. Then you know really, Carter, how to represent that client if you need to, to push on those uh, points to protect the tenant in that case, right? That's correct, uh, Michael. And I'd, I'd also uh, suggest that tenants need to look at the, either the market they're in uh, or the sub-market they're in, that some of those markets are starting to heat up and that uh, depending on where they are in their lease cycle, that they may want to uh, approach a landlord about extending right now while, while rental rates are, are low uh, but appear to be rising in some of these markets or sub-markets. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think uh, – uh, some of the markets are, are really hot, and some of the tenants are surprised that uh, they can't get the lease rates they want. Uh, but you know what? If it's a good location f- for your business and you're going to do well there, uh, you may need to, to pay up, and it may make a, a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, Mike, what do you see for uh, some lease issues in your practice? You know, four prevalent words I'm seeing in more bold print and bold font than, than even the names of the parties, mm-hmm. as is, where is, mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of cases, uh, depending on, on the asset. Uh, you know, landlords are, are, especially these banks who are holding these property special servicers, are not inclined, or perhaps don't even know how, to go in and do a lot of build-out work. Uh, to, to like you, you would see, you know, four or five, six years ago, to make it ready for a particular type of tenant. Um, one thing I would like to add or piggyback um, off of what Andy said 
when you have a situation where there's a special servicer as a tenant, you want to be mindful of the fact that certain things may take longer to get approved by existing lender. What you're seeing now, especially for an anchor tenant or a tenant who comes in with a strong with, with a strong financial backing, is they're going in and actually looking at title. They're reviewing, you know, they're doing due diligence as though they were buying the property, and they will take the lender, the landlord, to task on clearing up title. Uh, and they're they're going on record with, with subordination agreements. Uh, they're going on record with, with lease memoranda to let the world know they're in there now. Uh, and and as a landlord, you want to get them in there quickly. You want to get them signed up. You want that rent to commence as quickly as possible. And so you're sitting there battling with your lender, uh, who is now a special servicer, uh, because you're one of their pooled assets. Ask them to approve a, a subordination agreement. Ask them to approve a memorandum of lease. Uh, in one case, I had uh, where, where it was a, it was a a strip center with several tenants. We one tenant we're negotiating a lease with uh, did some due diligence and realized that that the the, the lease boundaries uh, overlapped with with the, with the neighboring tenant. We had to go back on record and 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 and, and revise an easement agreement that that allowed them to expand their property their, their property boundary to 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 do some infrastructure improvements uh, which affected our negotiation with the neighboring lease. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the point is, it can raise a number of issues now that, that we're not seeing that we're seeing for the first time. I think perhaps uh, because of the, the relative situation t- landlords and tenants are in right now. Yeah, well, those are some good points. I think it's a it's a important time more than ever for uh, tenants and landlords, but uh, I think especially for tenants to look very closely at those lease terms and and look at those clauses in the lease that the landlord says, you know, that's just uh, normal. Uh, that's the standard document. Wait a minute. Uh, we've seen that the world can change uh, pretty quickly here, and tenants need to have a uh, council look at their uh, their leases and uh, represent them well. All right, we'll have to take a quick break. We have more intel headed your way. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll see you in a moment. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We have some interesting shows coming up for you, including a show on the retail sector, one on the industrial market, and a show on the office sector as well. We have an interesting show that was coming up on apps. It's called There's an App for That. Be sure to catch shows of special interest to you. Sign up for a once-a-week email announcing the show topic at commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're discussing prevalent legal issues in the commercial real estate market. My guests are Carter Stout, Andy Litvak, Jeff Snyder, and Michael Ward. And uh, uh, Carter, I'd like to ask you about uh, clients getting loans right now. Is it getting easier? And uh, do the covenants, do you think the covenants the lenders are asking for seem reasonable these days? Well, Michael, uh, I represent a number of lenders, and they have pretty standard covenants. So you're biased. Okay. So. Well, and, and, but I do represent borrowers also. And, uh, you know, from, from the lender perspective, I think they have beefed up their covenants. And uh, the, the word is, if you want the loan, you're going to have to agree to it. Uh, and then on the other hand, when, you, when you're representing a borrower, uh, I think the practical reality is generally there are very few sources of money there. And they're they're stuck with um, with a particular lender or a small group of lenders that uh, are going to insist on certain covenants, and uh, 
I don't, I don't think there's a lot of negotiating room on, on some of that stuff. So they're, they're sort of stuck there and, well, that's bad news if you're a bar, I guess. But I guess if you're getting the loan, it's good news, right? Well, well, Jeff, what are you seeing these days on commercial real estate disputes? Uh, Michael, I've seen a, a surprising trend that really didn't happen after the last recession starting to grow here where sellers are becoming much more aggressive as the as the litigator, as the one initiating the actions to compel the sale of real estate. Traditionally, the buyers try to sue the seller to make sure that the deal closes. Here, I've, I've got half a dozen cases where the sellers have actually brought suit against the buyer to make a court order them to the closing table. And, you know, that's not something that was commonly ever done. And, you know, if that's where you are, if you're a seller and you've got the big, the white whale is on the line and you want to keep him on the line, can I get a judge to make him do that? And it it is surprisingly a trend that's coming up. And typically... The seller in that situation has the brokers on board with them because they want their commission and and they want to treat this buyer that this wasn't an option, this was a contract. If you're going to look to do that, if you're the seller and you've got the you've got the the big tuna on and you want to put it in the boat, you want to make sure that your contract provisions allow that to happen. The default provisions in your contract, you want to make sure that it allows you the right to compel the sale, and you also want to make sure that you're careful with the earnest money. Don't pocket the earnest money. Typically, if you keep the earnest money, you've waived your rights to any other remedies. So before you make the strategic decision to force that buyer to the table, uh, make sure your documents work for you. Oh, that's an interesting uh, trend to see um, sellers uh, suing to make buyers close. And I guess if you're a buyer, if you can delay it long enough, well, maybe you will want to buy it, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a tradition uh, has uh, started here on the show, we ask uh, some of our guests for a closing tip. Mike, you've got a closing tip for our listeners? Sure. Uh, ask not, want not. <laughs> if you're a buyer or tenant, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask your lender uh, for a non-conventional loan against a non-conventional asset. Don't be afraid to ask your landlord for an automatic renewal or an escalation that's reasonable in your lease. If you're a seller, don't be afraid to ask them for pre-closing repairs mm-hmm. uh, if you need them or, or, or be willing to say, well, fine, I'll, you know, let's, let, let's negotiate. Um, you know, I, I've already done my research. I've looked at the market. I know what it's worth now and what it will be worth, et cetera. Don't be afraid. All right, good tip. Andy, got a quick one? Sure. I couldn't quite come up with uh, the zinger that Mike just came up with, but um, – <laughs> When, when buying income-producing properties, I mean, this may seem obvious, it may be written in the contract, but really get your arms around um, an updated and current rent roll pre-closing. Right. Make sure you understand the numbers so you avoid those 11th hour uh, issues on prorations and how the dollars Good flow. To work. Good tip. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for more, more information from anyone on the show today, the contact information is available at the show website. Well, next week, we'll be discussing the U.S. industrial sector. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Michael Bull. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is made available by professionals at Cone Resnick. BB&T, France Media, and Bull Realty. For more information about these companies or to access additional show podcasts or videos, visit commercialrealestateshow.com.